they have ruled that the government's decision or policy of deporting asylum seekers to Rwanda is unlawful. 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 The Supreme Court has today upheld the judgment of the Court of Appeal, meaning that we cannot yet lawfully remove people to Rwanda. The Prime Minister obviously thinks so little of his own MPs that he's had to peel David Cameron away from his seven-year exile in a shepherd's hut and make him foreign secretary. Yo, 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 ladies and gents, welcome back to Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments, your twice-weekly delve into the world of politics, dystopia, news, and all things awful. Uh, you might notice the absence of my microphone. I, I feel somewhat naked without this. Thing. I've still got it here, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, but it's, it's being very temperamental, so I'm having to use an alternative today. Uh, which is lucky that I have this because I, 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 I saw everyone else was using these blue Yeti uh, microphone, like USB mics, and I thought, oh, maybe I should get one, you know, because I'm, I'm all about audio quality. I want this show to sound somewhat professional, even if it doesn't look it, you know. Uh, so I, I got one about six months ago, and it's just sat there doing nothing for months until his. Here's the thing, guys, is it always looks so messy in here, doesn't it? It's like there's boxes of old materials and stuff in the background. And uh, anyway, yesterday I finally bit the bullet. I was like, I'm just going to tidy up in here, which if any of you who have ever conversed with my girlfriend, um, you will know how rare that is. <laughs> how like here's my threshold up here in terms of what I can deal with with mess i'm like all of that can wait till later i have such a finite window of time that i can actually dedicate to producing content writing editing so I, like i'm i'm not going to dedicate my sort of spare hour this day or that day to uh to tidying are you crazy you know i've got priorities here the world needs to hear my story so Anyway, yesterday I, I hit my threshold. I was like, I'm just going to tidy up. So I had a really good tidy out here. Uh, but I don't know what I did. But somehow I appear to have changed the acoustics of this room. And it has grossly impacted the quality of my favorite microphone. I'm not sure what I've done, how I fix it. Uh, there's a myriad reasons why it's really tricky to fix whatever this problem is that I've created. But anyway, luckily I've got this thing uh, to, uh, to to tide me over in the media. You see, this is why I don't tidy, because it all, like, oh, yeah, it seems like a good idea, doesn't it? Seems like it might fix a few problems, Ed. You might find some stuff that you've been looking for for a long time. You might have peace of mind because, you know, tidy house, tidy mind, all of that stuff. But no. It, what it does is it yields other problems that I am not... Like, anyone can fix a problem like tidying your cabin. Anyone can fix... That is a problem, but it's entirely fixable. Who's going to fix my mic now? Dear listeners. After the solution of... <laughs> well, you better keep the cabin tidy. After the solution to that is, like, fixing it. Well, fixing it caused this problem. Now let's fix this. Who, who's going to help me fix my favourite microphone? 
So anyway, we are where we are. We've got this uh, blue Yeti thing. Right, what are we going to talk about today? There's there's a load of stuff, isn't there, in the news that really, 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 really we need to cover. Uh, Suella Braverman's bomb that she dropped last night. That letter, that supposed resignation letter, <laughs> even though she got sacked. I don't know how you spin that one, you know? Did you lose your job, Sue? Yeah, yeah. I did. Well, no, actually, I mean, I, I, I resigned. I published a resignation letter. Well, did they sack you before? Well, yeah. Right, okay, well, it's not a resignation letter, is it then? That's just... <laughs> what is that? That's an angry note that you send to an ex. You know, full of vitriol and hate. And yeah, just so you know, I faked it every time. It's that sort of vibe, isn't it? It's the shitty thing you want to say to the person who's just rejected you. That is the nuts and bolts of this. So can we <laughs> stop calling it a resignation letter already? So there's Suella's resignation letter and then there's this, uh, you know, the Rwanda verdict. That's a big thing. Um, we can we can touch on a Rwanda verdict for a moment. So there's a load of stuff I uh, sort of want to touch on with this, but uh, I mean, a lot of it I already touched on in the TikTok, like the uh, the YouTube thing that I uploaded this morning. Um, because, like, okay, so for me, the nuts and bolts of this are that this was an inhumane policy from the get-go, okay? Um, the idea that you could take people who were just looking for asylum, like focus on that word for a minute, asylum, safety, refuge, refugees, right? Like it's they're looking for safety. They're coming from, in theory, you know, war and persecution, oppression. And we know that statistically these people are by a huge majority uh, found to be legitimate refugees. So, so they arrive here on our shores looking for refuge. And then this policy sought to ship them off to a third country, uh, stuff them all in a plane, fly them away, there's somebody else's problem. Uh, and then it was challenged, and so the flights were grounded. Uh, and then the government appealed, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court, who have now said, yeah, like, you can't... <laughs> what, what are you doing? Like, these people are fleeing war, famine, persecution, oppression, and you're just going to stuff them on a plane and fly them off somewhere else? What, because you paid somebody to look after them? <laughs> so... It was inhumane from the outset. Um, and now it feels like we've, we, like, uh, you know, campaigning lawyers, human rights types uh, have won in quite. But it's, it's like, like we're snookered. We're, we're cornered because now that the European Court of Human Rights have stepped in and said, nah, you can't do that. Uh, obviously, Rishi Sunak's lot will say, well, this is exactly the problem with the ECHR. You know, meddling in our domestic affairs. We left the EU for a reason and Brexit and sovereignty. So that's it for the next general election campaign. We want sovereignty and we want to be able to govern our own laws. And we don't want you lot meddling. And so then that will be this sort of new culture war thing. And it's going to be insufferable. Um, had we lost, then we would end up with this inhumane policy. So it's lose-lose, you know, whichever way it swung Team Sunak, or rather, the hard right of the Conservative Party kind of win in some way, shape or form. And as I touched on in this morning's TikTok, uh, 
The reason, I think, that they are so keen to leave the ECHR is because your Dominic Raabs, your Liz Trusses, your Jacob Rees-Moggs, all of these people, no matter how posh the accent, no matter how high-priced the education, uh, they've all got this ignorant idea drummed into their head that the reason that the UK suffers from a productivity problem, the reason that it can't compete on the global stage with the likes of China and India, the reason that we can't see growth is because Brits are just bloody lazy guys. You're just all sat at home watching This Morning and Location Location and you just can't be bothered to get up and do a bloody good day's work, can you? You're just lazy, you lot. Everyone's sitting at home on benefits. Oh, doesn't it make you angry? Like, this is the idea that they've got in their head. And we know that that's their idea because they pen these pamphlets about it. Dominic Raab and Liz Truss were co-authors of the same pamphlet. Liz Truss was caught on a hot mic saying how lazy <laughs> Brits were and how we would do well to ape some of the policies seen in China. China, who have boomed economically based on sweatshops, you know? So how does this relate to the Rwanda policy aid? Well, because the Rwanda policy has been overruled by the ECHR and the ECHR also oversee employment rights, labour laws. So if we voted to leave the ECHR, or rather if there was a general election campaign centred around leaving the European Court of Human Rights, uh, and then it was seen as a sort of mandate for leaving it, and if, if we then did leave that court, potentially the Tories, if they were still in power, they could then rewrite employment law, and it couldn't be escalated to this Supreme Court. And the governing party could then say, well, I hope you enjoyed your maternity leave. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed your sick pay and your maximum number of hours per week. All of these labour laws that people fought and spat and bled and died for. I hope you enjoyed them. Consider them like a little holiday, if you will. <laughs> but very much that was a that was a brief a blip. Now it's back to Victorian working conditions. No such thing as a weekend anymore. You thought you thought two weeks paternity leave was like not not enough. Try going with none. You don't get any now. Straight back to the office for you. So yeah, I think that is why we've why, why we're seeing this sort of narrative spun. Why this rhetoric is being amplified about leaving the ECHR because a lot of the conservatives have interests in companies, and whether they associate working conditions and labour laws directly with productivity and therefore profit and dividends and all of that, I, I, I can't say for certain. But I can say that if we, if we deregulated employment law, if we left the ECHR, there is, I think, quite a high probability that a lot of your Desmond Swains, a lot of your Dominic Raabs and Liz Trusses would be campaigning to make people work like it will start off soft. It will start off with like, well, you know, if we want to compete with the likes of China and India, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask people for the benefit of the nation and to get back to growth to work every third Saturday. You know, your employer is now empowered to ask that you work every third Saturday. It will start off little like that. And you'll be like, well, you know, I guess it's yes. It's not so bad if I work 
one Saturday out of four, and then they'll up it to two. Oh, now I'm working half of every uh, each Saturdays every month. Oh, that's inconvenient. I mean, I liked going out on a Friday night and seeing my friend, but I guess if it's it's for good for the good of the country, I guess, yeah, I guess I could do that. Then they take your sick pay, and you're like, ah, oh, God, really don't want to have to work while battling COVID and you know coughing my guts up and. I'm, I've still got this hernia and it's actually incredibly painful for me to make it into the... But I guess if it's, if it's for the good of the country, I guess... Like, it will start small and it will escalate to a total or near total erosion of your workers' rights that until now were protected by the European Court of Human Rights. It'll be slow. It'll be subtle, just like the erosion or rather the rhetoric around leaving the ECHR, that has gradually amped up, hasn't it? Like, think back to the the Brexit debates, the referendum campaign. Think about how subtle that conversation graduated and crescendoed. Like, originally, it was a conversation about just leaving the European Union, wasn't it? There was never really any discussion around leaving the single market or the customs union. I think even quite famously, Nigel Farage dismissed it, didn't he? I'm pretty sure he said, like, look, nobody's suggesting that we should leave the single market. And then slowly, lo and behold, you know, that crescendo effect happened and slowly just they inched a little bit more and pushed it further right and it became a hard Brexit and a red, white and blue Brexit and a, oh, it's not a proper Brexit, it's a Brexit in name only. And before you know it, you blink your eyes, we've left the single market, the customs union, nothing is ever hard enough, fuck Northern Ireland, you know, erect a border if you need to, we're going to do this, this and this. Now we're talking about leaving the ECHR, that's got nothing to do with the EU. But nothing is ever hard enough for these people, no matter the institution, no matter the damage they cause. And it will be the same with the ECHR itself. It starts with a conversation around, well, it's, it's just so we can protect our borders. You know, it starts with the seeds being laid with little comments about yeah, is it, well, look, nobody's talking about changing employment law. If anything, we want to strengthen workers' rights. Yes, that's what we do. Just like we wanted to strengthen uh, environmental protections, regulatory restriction. We want, to, we want to have the cleanest water and the cleanest valleys and fields. And then where did that get us? Where did that slowly crescendo to? Crescendo to shit in the rivers. <laughs> Didn't it? So it starts with the subtle little pepperings of, uh, look, nobody's suggesting we leave the single market. Nobody's suggesting that we dilute our environmental protections. And nobody, oh, goodness, no, nobody's suggesting that we would begin to water down your employment protections, your right to sick leave, the maximum number of hours that you might be asked to work in a week. Nobody's suggesting reducing your annual leave. Nobody's suggesting <laughs> at all that we would lower the age, that we would force our children to go into the uh, workforce. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. I mean, we've got, a, we've got an ageing population. 
we've got a severe drought and we've got a labour shortage at the moment. We can't force people to go back to... Here's the thing that gets me, though. And I said this, I think, on a TikTok a few weeks ago. I was like, why don't they just facilitate parents to go back to work? You know? Everyone's talking about a, a productivity problem. And we need to get people back to work. And there's a million people just sat at home, twiddling their thumbs, doing nothing on benefits. God, why are they so lazy? We need to solve productivity. We've got an aging population. We've got a labour shortage. We've got to get people back to work. Nobody ever says, what if we, um, what if we empowered parents who are desperate to get out of the house? They just, they beg and plead and pray to every single God they can think of. From Buddha to Muhammad to Jesus to Tom Cruise. They pray to anyone that's listening. Please, dear God above, can you, can you find some way for me to get the fuck out of this house and away from these kids and get back to work? People are so desperate to leave their kids and get back to the office that like women mums will return to the office or to any job and they will funnel all of that money into childcare and they make nothing that's how desperate parents are to get back to work <laughs> it's like mums will go back to work in a shop as a pa as a barrister as like whatever whatever the job is They'll sing and dance their way back into the office and all of that money that they make will go straight into a nursery or straight into a childminder. <laughs> they come back with nothing and still they feel like it's a win. They're like, oh, absolutely. I don't care if I'm not, if I'm making a net loss by going back to work every month. It's, <laughs> it's, I'm still winning. It's okay. So why doesn't anyone ever, like, free up parents to get back to work, you know? Because nobody works harder than a father who's just spent all day Saturday and all day Sunday with his kids, taking them to the park, giving mum a break, you know, bath and bed routine, waking up early with the little one. Nobody sings and dances their way back into work <laughs> and is desperate to work hard to increase their salary and get promoted and maximise their income. No one has higher productivity than exhausted, miserable fathers. They just don't. It's just a fact. I've worked harder since I became a father in 2016 than I've ever worked in my entire life before. All of the years before, combined... Compare that to the last seven years, and it's not even close. It's like... Like, as soon as I became a dad, and childcare robbed me of all of my disposable income. Well, you know, between that and the mortgages exploding. But, you know, you get, you get my point. Once I had to write checks out every month to the nursery, and it went up, like, 700... 800, 900 pounds a month. Imagine that. Like, people that don't have kids don't understand how expensive childcare is. It is astronomical. It is insulting. <laughs> it's offensive when you get the invoice through. Yeah, Mr. Thompson, um, this is the charges for the next month. 
Uh, it's nine hundred and thirteen pounds, seventy-seven pence. Nine hundred quid. Nine hundred for one kid to go into childcare. Like, if you got two, oh, you are, you are, omni fucked with two kids. Having children is a luxury, opulent item now. You see people walking down the street with a couple of kids. You're like, oh my god. They must be loaded. <laughs> um, and of course, the irony is, is that they are not, you know. They might have a large amount of cash coming into their current account once a month. But rest assured, that money goes out very, very quickly. Um, you know, like uh, sometimes I talk to my mum about what I do now for my day job. And, you know, I've come quite far in the last few years and uh you know sometimes she's quite proud of me she's just like oh you're doing you're doing pretty well then aren't you you're doing okay oh if that if that's what you're on oh yeah your take home must be uh must be pretty good things must like you can't be that hard up then if that's your take i'm like i'm that's not even my money i'm just the custodian of that figure that i'm like a sort of conduit the money comes in from my employer and it goes straight out to the childminder it's like I temporarily glimpse it as it shoots past my periphery. My childminder's got a fucking Porsche. Do you know that? My childminder is balling. She's making it rain in the cliz up. It's incredible the lifestyle that childminders must be able to facilitate for themselves. Um, so, yeah. If you want to increase productivity and get back to growth, why is nobody campaigning on freeing up, you know, and, and allowing parents to get back to the office because nobody works harder than exhausted, miserable mums and dads? I think for dads, it's like, you know, when I became a father and, and the invoices started to come through and I saw how much, how broke I was going to be off the back of sending my kids into nursery, you know, freeing up my partner, my girlfriend, to be able to go back to work. But like her money coming in doesn't even, it's not even close to how much the childcare now costs with two kids. <laughs> like, but like when I saw how much this was costing me, I was, I've never worked harder in my entire life. And I, there's something so darkly funny about like, because people observing from afar, like my mum or my brother or like whoever, they must go like, hey, you know, as soon as he became a father, you know, he realised what was important and he just wanted to provide for his family. And that's why, you know, he really changed. As soon as he became a dad, he was like, right, no more fucking about. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to provide for my family. Good old age. He really turned a corner. That is not what happened. That would be a nice story if that was... Well, I wish I was that guy. I wish I had changed. You know, like a baby comes out of your girlfriend or wife's vagina and then there's just some moment of clarity. You're like, oh, wow, I see what's important in life now. Now I've just instantly totally changed. That is not what happened. I wish that was me, but it's just... Uh, it is not. It's just, that's a lie. <laughs> Here's what happened is I saw how much the childcare cost and how broke I was going to... I was like, I cannot afford to live on that. I want to get back to my old lifestyle <laughs> where I can afford to go to the pub and see my mates, where I can afford to be included on the odds 
you know, engagement party or stag weekend. Fuck me. I've I've been to like two stags in my entire life. Do you know how much fun and holidays and stag stuff and other, other shit I just haven't been able to afford to be included in since I became a dad? So, yeah, there is there's an increased work, work ethic when when you have kids. But no, it's not powered by this sort of moment of clarity. It absolutely comes from this like I need to work hard and uh, maximise my income. And uh, hopefully one day when I'm on 400 grand a year or something, I can afford the childcare that we need and I can go away on holiday. And anyway, so, yeah, it's perhaps not as uh, admirable as uh, as people might perceive. So what the fuck was I talking about now? Um. Yeah, so childcare. So free up the parents, get them back to work, increase productivity. But it's funny, isn't it? Because they really want productivity. They really want growth. But if you ask them really nicely, in as posh and plummy a tone as you could muster, if you said, excuse me, Dominic, excuse me, Lizzie, I've been thinking, right, we all want growth. We all want to solve this productivity problem. You know, we all agree that, that British people should work harder and somehow we should increase productivity and growth and blah, blah, blah. Right. We're all in agreement. Yes. Yes. That's right. Yes. Why? Get, get to your point. Aid. Right. Well, I was thinking if we freed up parents to get back into the workforce, that might get us some growth. It, like the hate runs so deep <laughs> that like they want they want productivity they want growth but if you ask them to free up single mothers to do it you know or to help people with some sort of socialized childcare system then that is just a step they're like oh no 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 it's uh, you know i i do want growth i want growth i want to increase productivity but i just ah, can't bring myself to help people I just can't. That feels like a handout aid. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it sort of is, but it's it's a handout with a means as a means to increasing productivity. Like it's been costed. There's been studies into this, Dominic. Lizzie, please just hear me out. If you spend £10 on childcare, you get 15 back into the economy or something like that. I don't know. I don't have the studies to hand. I told you before, this isn't a very well-prepped podcast. It might sound professional, the work, work I put into the audio and the visual and stuff, you know, but it's not. I promise you it's not. But like the point stands, if you put money into childcare and you free up parents, they go out into the economy, they earn more, it's taxed, they spend more. It comes back on you guys. It's growth. It's what you say you want. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, we do want growth aid, but uh, just... Just not like that. Well, how do you want it then? You say you want growth. You say you're all about productivity. How do you want to get there? Right. Well, um, I was thinking it, it, it's sort of similar. It's sort of it, 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 it's it's a bit like freeing people up to go back into the workplace. But I was thinking uh, we make prisoners work 17 hour days for various corporations who would probably donate to the Conservative Party. So that's that's one workforce. It is, it, it's an untapped resource we should definitely consider. But also, we could lower the minimum working age to about 12 or 13, I think. I mean, like, if you're 12 or 13 years old, you, you know, you're old enough, aren't you? You're old enough to learn some skills. You're old enough to know what you're doing. Oh, right. Uh, OK. Um, so if they're old enough 
to know what it, um, you're going to give them the vote as well. You listen to me, you insolent little prick. They're not old. No, no. They'll be old enough to go down the mines and to uh, to work in sweatshops. Great British sweatshops. Uh, but no, no. They. Um, I mean, they'll be taxed to the hilt. Uh, but uh, but no. We we are not going to give them the vote. Just to be perfectly clear on that. I mean, that's where that's where I can see this sort of stuff heading. It's like. You know, a dilution of workers' rights, you know, and it would be subtle. And still, this country will be so fucking stupid. They'll cheer it on. But half the country will cheer it on because they think that they're winning if they support the party who are going to dilute their workers' rights. They'll support those guys for fear that if they vote for the other guys or let the other guys in, that they might bump into a trans woman in a public toilet. Public toilets that don't even exist anymore, I might add. It's like, oh, I better I better not let Labour in, or, or I might bump into a person that I'm statistically unlikely to bump into. And, and it's a person who I have no discernible way of telling if she was female by birth, unless I follow her into the cubicle and personally examine her genitals in a fantasy venue that doesn't exist. <laughs> and when whenever I say this stuff, they're always like, oh, well, 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 what about what? What about a gym changing room? It's like, oh, do you go to a gym? Do you? Uh, no. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what are you so worried about? Why are you so terrified? It's like, oh, what if I bump into an axe murderer in a Starbucks in Narnia? <laughs> well, what if the Easter Bunny fucks my wife and puts it on the Internet? Like, I mean, where does this stop? Dear listeners. This sort of warped need to fantasize about situations and people that may, that might somewhere pose a threat to somebody, you know? Fucking conservative MPs clutching their pearls over women's safety is just ridiculous. Like, don't start now, lads. You, you haven't you haven't had the practice. All right. <laughs> Because I can tell you now, right, like, if I was a relatively attractive 25-year-old woman working in Parliament, if that was me, I think I would understand that the bigger threat to my vagina than a trans woman in a cubicle, by a pretty huge margin, is probably one of the 50 MPs who are being investigated or who have been suspended for actual sex crimes. Like, this is... This is why it's so ridiculous. It's like, oh, well, what if women were at risk from trans people? We're like, well, yeah, OK, look, that is that is a valid concern. Maybe, you know, there might be a discussion to be had about that, Hugo. There, there could be. But it might mean more coming from someone who isn't doing the helicopter to his terrified secretary while making it. Can you put your dick away? You know, just tell tell Rob to cancel his NDA. Tell Peter Bone and uh, Pincher and Blunt and Warburton and all of the rest of them to just calm down the sexual harassment, the tractor porn and the rape allegations. And then once once you've calmed all of that down, maybe then we pick up this conversation about women's safety. Yeah. What do you think? Mm.
Anyway, I suppose we should go back to talking about, you know, the Rwanda policy and the outcomes and ripple effects that uh, that, that, that are going to come from that. Um, uh, I mean, it's been like it's a big news week, isn't it? Like first they sack Suella, then David Cameron returns to the fore. Now we've got this Rwanda judgment. It's not a quiet news week, is it? It's good. Good for podcasters. Good for satirists. Um, but anyway, as this story develops, uh, lots of quotes going around about Dame Andrea Jenkins. Uh, she says that she's been told by six MPs, six Tory MPs, that they're going to put in letters to the 1922 committee today. Uh, so with hers, that would make seven. I think the threshold is like 30 or 40 or something. So, you know, we're a way off yet of people uh, causing Sunak any serious problems. Uh, however, it shouldn't be minimised. It shouldn't be dismissed uh, that the political arithmetic for Sunak is probably not that great. You know, when you consider that Boris Johnson in his first couple of months as Tory leader, as prime minister, basically culled all of the moderates, right? All of the Remainers, all the people with brains, or at least who half inhabited reality. Boris Johnson was like, nah, if you're not going to kiss the ring, you can fuck off, son. So loads of them were culled or were forced to resign, deselected and so on. And so the moderates, which you know, rightly or wrongly, depending on what your perception of Rishi Sunak is. Uh, I always look at the moderates as being his sort of natural tribe. Even though he was apparently a Brexiter, although I'm not sure I fully believe that. I think somebody like him who worked at Goldman Sachs, who appears to have something resembling a brain in his head. I just think he's not very good at politics, but, you know, I think he's an intelligent guy. Um I can't imagine someone like that being a Brexiter. I just can't, you know. Um, so his natural tribe of moderates uh, are largely, I think, not there any longer. And the ones that are there, I think, would have been so kowtowed and pushed to support the sort of what has become the actual narrative of the Conservative Party, which is be very pro-Brexit, very culture war, very anti-ECHR, you know, pro-Rwanda plan, all of these sort of box ticks of Bellendry. I think for him to now go up against the weight of the Conservative Party, these Brexity lunatics, uh, like I would not be surprised if that number does get a bit higher. But it becomes this question of, so there's a, there's a quote here in The Telegraph. It says, um, Tory MP urges colleagues to bite the bullet and get rid of Sunak, right? <laughs> Says Dame Andrea Jenkins said Tory MPs need to bite the bullet and get rid of him. Uh, the former education minister told GB News, I wrestled with this and the fact that we would look very stupid toppling another leader, but I think we have just got to bite the bullet now. Like, here's the wild thing about that, is that she obviously thinks that it's acceptable, nay, electorally palatable, for the Conservatives to oust Rishi Sunak and install another leader without a general election. She actually thinks that that's doable. That is outrageous and insulting and fantastical. The idea that, so you had Boris Johnson ousted. Everyone was like, well, now he's gone. You need a general election to have a mandate for your next Tory leader. No, no, no. Then they just put it up to the members. Liz Truss became an unelected prime minister. 
I mean, look, I know how the parliamentary system works. I know that, you know, you don't, it's not presidential. You don't elect a leader. But still, you know, it doesn't look good for democracy. Just installing a new leader. Then she gets ousted. Then it's Sunak. Sunak is an unelected. That's their whole beef with him, is that he doesn't have a mandate. It's written there in Suella's letter. It's like, you weren't elected in, you don't have a mandate, blah, blah, blah. That's one of their key problems with him. They insult him based on that. And yet here's this bitch going like, yeah, look, I, I, I wrestled with it. I did, I, I'm not totally sold on the idea too. However, I would be totally okay with installing another unelected leader and therefore prime minister without the aid of a general election. I, don't, it, I know it seems like I shouldn't be okay with that. I was as shocked as you are. When I somehow agreed with this next jaunt on the trajectory. But somehow I've done it. Like magic. Um, anyway, PMQs today is obviously, as you would expect, it's a state. You know, there's been comments about David Cameron's return. There's been comments about the Rwanda ruling. And uh, I, I really like this one exchange uh, between Starmer and Sunak. Um it's, it's mentioned here on the Telegraph's uh, coverage. It says, Starmer grills Sunak over the appointment of Lord Cameron. It says, um, Sir Keir Starmer started PMQs by grilling Rishi Sunak over the appointment of Lord Cameron as Foreign Secretary. Remember, he's Lord Cameron only because Sunak wants him in the cabinet. And that was the parliamentary mechanism that he had to exploit to be able to funnel him in through the back door and give him this cabinet role. There's no other reason... <laughs> He's leapfrogged Blair and, you know, Blair's, Blair's not a lord yet or a pit. It is tradition that ex-prime ministers become lords and baronesses and, and what have you. Uh, but Cameron has completely like jumped over Blair in the running order. And the only reason he's done that is because Sunak desperately wants him in the cabinet. We still don't know why. As I said to Graham Hughes on Labour Social the other night, you know, we don't like what is it that Cameron actually gets out of this? We still don't know that there will be something. There's something in the background. There's no reason for an ex-prime minister to come back into government as a subservient foreign... Uh, not foreign secretary. Yeah, no, he is foreign secretary. They had me second-guessing myself there. Um, there's no reason for him to come in. Like, why would he do that? That is a humiliating demotion from where he once stood, right? So there's going to be some reason. Either Sunak is going to step down and fuck off to Silicon Valley and Cameron will become a sort of caretaker leader. I can kind of see that happening. Uh, or there will be some weird fuckery going on, some sort of self-enrichment thing. I heard somebody say the other day that this is actually, it's something to do with the India trade deal because David Cameron is seen as more of a sort of world statesman or something, and so to get him on board to cosy up to India is what it might take to get this trade deal over the line. There's something around it. It's going to be something like that. It just is. Watch this space. There'll be some kind of fuckery to it. Um. Anyway, so Starmer and Sunak are in PMQs, and Starmer says this to Sunak. This is how he opens PMQs the first time after Lord, quote-unquote, Cameron has been appointed as uh, foreign secretary, he says, um, Mr. Sunak thinks so little of his own MPs that he has had to peel David Cameron away from his seven year exile in a shepherd's hut and make him foreign secretary. 
And he says, but a few months ago, the Intelligence and Security Committee said that the now Foreign Secretary's role in a Chinese investment fund may have been, and this is their words, engineered by the Chinese state. And he continues... I hardly need to remind the Prime Minister of the threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party or the intimidation against members of this house. And he doesn't because, do you remember that news story a few months ago? Two Chinese spies in Parliament and then there were reports, although they've never been confirmed or denied, I might add, by Rishi Sunak's team that his own car was bugged by China, which I spoke about on an episode of this if you want to go back and find it. Uh, so anyway, he says, so when when will he instruct Lord Cameron to give full public disclosure of his work for Chinese interests? Um, and this is Starmer like basically, you know, picking, prodding the bear, just saying look, you've appointed this guy. He's got unresolved issues with regards to Chinese involvement and business interests and potentially spying. Um and so then Sunak replies, he says, look, I'm delighted that the former prime minister has rejoined government as a foreign secretary. That wasn't the question, Rish. He says, as an individual with unrivaled experience, he will help us navigate an uncertain world in challenging times. Very vague response and also complete bullshit. Right. Here's the thing about Lord Cameron. So he's given him this role, foreign secretary. And there's this line that keeps coming out of number 10 and their cheerleaders in the Telegraph, the Sun, all of the rest of them. There's this line that keeps coming out like, look, he's got so much experience. He's a battle worn prime minister and he's, you know, geopolitical and on the world stage. He's got so much experience that he could bring to the table. No, he doesn't. He just he doesn't. He was prime minister and he did win an election. So you can give credit where it's due there however again as i said on the labor social thing the other night for those of you who follow me but haven't got round to following graham hughes's labor social channel yet but i said this to like to him the other night david cameron was elected in like 2001 he was an mp uh from then until he became a tory leader in 2005 that's four years okay that's a quick route to Tory leader. And in that time, he had one shadow cabinet role. That's it. He wasn't defence secretary and then foreign secretary and then home secretary. And then he ascended to Tory leader and then prime minister. He had one shadow cabinet role and that was for education. He doesn't have any experience as a foreign secretary. And if you want to tap into his prime ministerial experience, as a, you know, because now he's foreign secretary, you could look back at when he was PM. What sort of successes did he see as a PM, as a geopolitical figure, as someone on the world stage? Well, then let's uh, let's take a look at some of them, shall we? Some of his hits, some of the uh, storming successes that he was able to achieve in his time as prime minister in a geopolitical context, shall we? Uh, so. Uh, number one, I suppose, first and foremost, he fucked up our relationship with the EU. How about that? That was oh, what a barnstorming success that was. And also he could ease tensions within his own party because he was worried he might lose seven or eight MPs to UKIP. So that's 
That's good. That's set the stage for the following seven or eight years of political tumult and outright chaos. Nice one, Dave. Great start. Let's continue. Uh, he fucked up Libya. <laughs> he was a cheerleader of that whole invasion into Libya. A country that, on last look, when I last checked or read up about Libya, it was officially classed as a failed state. So that's two for two. Good stuff here, Dave. Uh, what else did he do? He cheered on Saudi Arabia's assault on Yemen. Yeah, Saudi Arabia. He also secretly campaigned, reached a sort of secret stealth snidey deal, reportedly. I haven't seen it, but this was reported, alleged. Uh, he was secretly conducting this deal to allow Saudi Arabia to take a seat on the UN Human Rights Council. Guys, how about that? Saudi Arabia on the UN human rights body. It's just ridiculous. Saudi Arabia, who, I mean, look, admittedly this happened afterwards, but Saudi Arabia are the country who beamed the live massacring, the live butchering of a Washington Post journalist through to their heir apparent. He butchered a journalist and then presumably he scuttled off to take his seat on the U UN Human Rights Council. So, yeah. Um, what else did David Cameron do? He cheered on BAE. That's a British Defence uh, Weapons Arms Manufacturing Corporation. He cheered on BAE's arms sales that were used by Saudi Arabia to blow up civilians in Yemen. So that's further geopolitical instability. If you think about it this way, right, Libya and Yemen... You've got all these people fleeing war, fleeing persecution, the bombs, the drones, all of it. They're fleeing that and then they're rocking up in Dover, right? So even if you're a Tory cheerleader, even if you love the Tories, you love a bit of war. You love a bit of flag waving and successful British commerce in the shape of BAE. Even if you're of that ilk, right? You should still have a problem with David Cameron. Because when he starts these conflicts or when he furthers them or turns a blind eye or signs off the BAE deal to Saudi, when he does this, it's creating conflict, which creates more refugees. And then they rock up in Dover and the number of asylum seekers just explodes. And that's the thing that you're angry about. So you should hate him, too. Like, how is this CV, the Libya stuff, the Yemen, the Saudi stuff, breaking Europe? You know, how is any of this close to a suitable candidate for foreign secretary? Like when they said, oh, we're going to make David Cameron uh, foreign secretary. I thought it was a joke. You know, I thought you couldn't find anyone less credible. Really? You couldn't find an old Tory that was less credible. Like was Jeffrey Archer busy? Was he? Christ. And uh, David Cameron will be returning to frontline politics uh, next week as the... Oh, my God. Did, did he forget to shut down a hospital or something? Was that... <laughs> I mean, like, how is it... Like, how, is, how is his CV anything close to suitable for that role as foreign secretary? Like, it's as bad as when they made Tony Blair Middle East peace envoy. Remember <laughs> that? And a thousand satirists were like, oh, God, no, no, no. Um, 
How are you going to make David Cameron foreign secretary with his geopolitical CV? In the, I mean, I suppose in a weird way, like it is unrivaled experience, isn't it? Like no, nobody's ever fucked up that bad before, Dave. I mean, it's you like you and Blair is basically the choice there. Um, putting David Cameron in as foreign secretary and, uh, you know, suggesting his world stage credentials are sufficient expertise to justify is just mind-boggling isn't it his backstory his cv his credentials is just like it's like it's like making maxine Carr the director of a car wash you know <laughs> and when and when people are like well i don't know if she's um i don't know if she's got much experience in uh in running a car wash and i'm like what, what are you talking about she's got unrivaled experience in Cleaning a car out. Oh, no, come on, eight. No, that is that is too near the knuckle. That is just beyond the... What? No, I'm serious. It was spotless <laughs> when she was exercising her expertise. Anyway, look, guys, uh, that's enough for this one. Um, I'm going to be back with another solo show. You're going to get two of them this week. And then Friday night, uh, I've got Graham Hughes from Labour Social. Uh, he's going to join me as my guest Friday night. And we're going to be putting the world to rights over its many wrongs and making sense of the senseless, as per usual. Um, but if you can't get to that, and uh, if you want to catch up on like all of the other uh, older episodes, do jump on the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson, where I put all of my episodes two days ahead of everywhere else. So everything goes on Apple and Spotify and YouTube and all the rest of it. Um, but I always put episodes up on uh, Patreon two days before everywhere else. You also get first shout, first dibs at live show tickets. And uh, we're doing London meetups. I've done two of them so far. I'd like to do one more. I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to do it uh, before Christmas now. So it might be more of a January, February thing. Um, but we meet up in Brick Lane, usually have a few beers, few tequilas. We talk about life, love, the universe, news, politics, dystopia, and try to make sense of it all. Uh, so if you want to get involved in that, uh, or if you want to do the like I'm doing monthly Skype calls now with my patrons uh, for the £10 tier um, and above. Here's like here's a weird thing. I've got a £50 Patreon now. A lovely lady um, joined my Patreon. I have a tier for like £50 subscribers um, and uh, and somebody's jumped onto it and I'm really, really happy. So what's up, Rachel? How are you doing? Uh, she sent me a lovely message over the weekend. Um, very encouraging. And I really needed it. I had a terrible week last week. I was starting to lose my mojo a little bit. And I'm just really happy to to have that really like buoyed me or buoyed me or what, like whatever the word is. It did that. Uh, so what's up, Rachel? Um, but also special shouts to the rest of the Patreons. You also get credited at the end of shows like this. Um, so big what up to Bowman, Kai, Chris, David, Martin Maracas, Mojo Sabian, Oliver Stevens, Peter Del Monte, Pingu, uh, Stuart, T-Rex, Aaron, Alex Souter, Alex Tooth, Jeff McGow, Mark Harris, Ned Berg, Ricardo, Sarah and Simon. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, big shouts to you all. I'm looking forward to seeing all of you at the next live show. Not sure when that's going to be yet. Got to catch up with Danny Price uh, probably tomorrow night. Um, until next time, take care of yourselves and I'm out this motherfucker. Yeah.